Anyway, here we are. We are in part two of our current three-part message series called Success in Life Through Faith in Christ. And last week, we looked at the fact that we could define success in lots of different ways. And uh, certainly, many people out in the world would define success as having a big house and a fancy car and lots of money and going on great vacations and so on. It would all be material success and it would all be about finances. But I am sure we all know that there are lots of people who are very, very rich and very, very miserable. And so therefore, that they are not living a successful life. I mean, like, you know, you could spend your whole life becoming the richest person in the world, and then your wife, Mrs. Gates, divorces you and takes half of it with her, you know? And so, we are, success, we are not defining success the way the world does. We are defining a successful life as a life in which you are living in the center of God's will. Remember, we saw that the Bible says God's will for you is good and pleasing and perfect. And so, if you want to live the perfect life, that is not copying the Kardashians. I promise you that is not the perfect life. And even if it was the perfect life for them, it certainly isn't for you. The perfect life for you is to be in the center of the will of God, and the will of God is good, and it's pleasing. It brings pleasure. It brings fulfillment. Now, I know there's always somebody that says, yes, so was the apostle Paul pleased when he was beheaded? Was Peter pleased when he was crucified upside down? Are the people who are being persecuted for their faith in North Korea pleased? They're not successful. So, let me just take a step back and say, the Bible does talk about persecution. And when persecution comes in, it kind of changes things, right? So, I am talking about living a fulfilling life, what Jesus called life in abundance, is the kind of general will of God. It may be that while you're in the midst of doing that, and you feel like you're discovering and living your God-given life purpose, you know, the government might change, you know, uh, and and uh, persecution might come in, and now Christians are being arrested for their faith and being persecuted, losing their jobs, and so on. Well, at that point, your life purpose changes from what you were doing to surviving and thriving and not giving in in the midst of persecution, okay? But let's be honest. We're not all looking to be persecuted today, you know? We're not all running out there saying, kill me for my faith. We're trying to actually stay alive. I also hope that if people were threatening your life for your faith, that your faith is genuine and true and has been purified like gold, and you would never back down to anyone who tries to pressure you to abandon your faith in Christ, even if it meant not living a successful life, even if it meant experiencing suffering. I hope your faith is genuine enough that you would be able 
to abandon a successful life and endure suffering and still not give in your faith in Christ. However, in the absence of persecution, which is what we hope for most of the time, we are then free to get on and live the life that God has created us to live. And we need to discover who we are, who God has made us to be, what our, our God-given gifts and potential and talents and so on are. And when we discover who we are, then we know the path that we are supposed to be we're supposed to take in life, and then we know what we want out of life. And, um, you know, this is, I want you to imagine that you had been interviewed. Imagine I was a, a, a boss who had interviewed you for a job, and then I told you you've got the job, but I've not told you what job you've got. I just tell you to turn up on Monday at 9 a.m., so you turn up on Monday at 9 a.m., and you find there's a couple of hundred people there who have been offered a job, have not been told what it is, they've just been told to turn up on Monday at 9 a.m., right? So you're there. So imagine I said, right, we've got three things we need to do. We need people to work in the production line. So you lot over there, go to the production line and work on it. We need people who are going to be drivers. So you lot over here, go there and get key keys to the trucks and go and be drivers. And you lot over here, we need people to work in the offices and answer calls and send the drivers to places and so on. So you people there, you all go and work in the office. So off you go and, and you're like, I, I, don't, I can't drive. <laughs> or like, Every time I touch a computer, it crashes. <laughs> I don't know if I should be in the office. Now, we might get work done if we did that, but that wouldn't be the best way to do it. Imagine if as part of the interviewing process, I had got you to go through a skill discovery questionnaire. And I now knew what everybody's strengths and weaknesses were. And so all the people whose strengths were in the area of administrative skills, we put them in the office. And the same with the drivers and the same with the production line. Which one of those two methods do you think would get more work done and would, would make more workers happy in their job? Obviously, the second one. But you know, so like, I know in many communist countries they had this thing where we need so many minors, so you lot are minors. We don't care if you're good at it, we don't care if you enjoy it, we don't care if you're, uh, uh, if, if you're fulfilled in any way, that's what we need, you go and do it. And sometimes people look at, we need jobs done, so get them done. And very often in churches, they do that as well. It's kind of like, we need we need people in, this, in such and such a ministry. So we need you to volunteer, whether you're good at it, whether you enjoy it, whether anybody else enjoys you doing it. And, and, and so sometimes people do that, but there's a better way. Sometimes that's needed. So for instance, if a fire broke out over there right now, I hope somebody would get a bucket of water or a fire extinguisher and put it out, and you wouldn't all sit there saying, well, I'm not a fireman. That's not my job, you know? 
just go and put the fire out. Sometimes you just need someone to put the fire out. And so sometimes in life, we have to do things that we're not good at, we're not gifted at, we don't find fulfillment in, but they need to get done. But as, as a lifestyle, it is so much better to discover the things that we were created, we were designed to do, when we do them, we find out that we're actually good at them, that we enjoy doing them, that other people around us enjoy when we do them, that they are blessed or a need is met or something like that. And um, it's really interesting that, uh, you know, a couple of hundred years ago, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who wasn't even a Christian, he was interested in spiritual things, he was interested in the way the world worked, he was a bit of a philosopher, he observed this, he called it the great flywheel of life. That he said, when you actually give people freedom to do whatever they personally feel that they are good at and that they enjoy doing, somehow or other, everything gets done. Everything just seems to get done. Because, and isn't that the way it would be? If God was a wise creator, wouldn't he create a world where there are enough people to make things? There are people who are good at making food. There are people who are good at eating food. There are people who are good at washing up the dishes after the food. You know, and so there all of a sudden, everybody, everything is done. When you, when you don't engage in social engineering, instead, when you cre create freedom and tell people, discover your strengths and do the things that you were wired to do, all of a sudden, everything gets done. You know, there's people, I, I love construction, and I'm going to build, so I pull down old stuff. And somebody else says, I love recycling and repurposing things. I just enjoy it. I'll take all the old garbage that you've knocked down away, and I will repurpose it and remake it into something else. Every, when everybody does the thing that they were created to do, everything gets done. So once you know who you are, and you know what path you want to go down in life, you need to begin to dream about it, imagine it, build the picture of that outside life on the inside, and then you need to start to deploy the various methods that will help you grow into the person that you are called to be. So today is called dream and deploy. Dream and deploy. And I've, put a, a, I've got a little saying here that once you know, can you put the next slide up? Once you know who you are, your identity, and then, then decide what you want, your journey through life that matches your identity, once you know that, it's time to dream big about this new venture. And it's time to deploy all the methods, not all the methods that will make it happen, but all the methods that will make you grow till you become the kind of person who lives that life. You know, the Apostle Paul says, I am still not all I should be, but I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing. So many of us have scattered energies. 
Our thoughts are over here. Our feelings are over here. Our subconscious mind is programmed in one way. Our conscious mind is thinking we're being pulled all over the way. And he says, once I know who I am and what God has called me to do and what path he has set before me, I will bring all my energies, my thoughts, my emotions, my physical energy, the passion of my heart, my prayers, my faith, my daydreams, everything. I will bring all my energies to bear on this one thing forgetting the past and looking ahead. And so, God wants us to be people who forget the past and look ahead to the life that He has laid out for us. And so, the first thing that we need to do here is dream big. Can you shout dream big? You know, it's really interesting that we in our culture don't think of dreaming, either dreaming when we're asleep or daydreaming, as all of that important. In fact, the English word to dream comes also from the root of the Anglo-Saxon word to deceive. And don't people say that? It wasn't real. It was just a dream, as if dreams are not real, right? So, that, that would, there's lots of things that we cannot see with our eyes, we can't touch with our hands, but they're real. You know, here's a married couple here in the front row. If one of them turned to the other and said, I love you, honey, the other one could say, well, show me the love. Where is it? Show me. I want to hold it in my hand. No, no. I, well, it's not real. Just because something's not physical doesn't mean it's not real, Right? But we seem to have this thing in our culture that dreams are not real, and the word dream comes from deceive. But in the ancient Aramaic culture that both the Old Testament and New Testament people, Jesus himself came out of, the Aramaic word for dream means to heal, to make whole, to integrate. The idea was that you're, you're so busy during the day that you refuse to deal with your unresolved issues and you're pushing them to the side. But when you're asleep, they all come to the surface. And in your sleep, you're trying to integrate the various broken parts of your life. And they not only use that same word when you're dreaming at night, but also of daydreaming as well. Daydreaming is a gift from God. When I was a kid in school, the teachers constantly told me to stop daydreaming. But what I was daydreaming about was way more interesting than algebra. I can promise you that. And every, every inventor has daydreamed their invention first. See the very chairs that you're sitting on. Somebody sat down and daydreamed that chair and then got a piece of paper and a pencil and drew the image that he was dreaming in his mind and then got the materials and built the thing. Everything in this world started as a dream, an idea. It started in the mind of somebody. And if we're talking about the mountains and valleys and seas, they all started in the mind of God. Everything physical 
Everything visible was once invisible. And daydreaming is really important. And so, you know, that actually daydreaming helps you to know where you fit in life. If you think, I, I, I've got these gifts and these talents, and I'm not good at these things, and it looks like this is the kind of person I am, and this is where I fit in life. Before you go and rush and do that, sit and daydream about it. Does that feel comfortable? Does that feel like me? Is this like, do I fit in there? And so on. And God uses daydreaming. He used it with Abraham. Look at the book of Genesis. Here's what it says in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 15. It says, the Lord took Abraham outside and said to him, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord accounted it to him as righteousness because of his faith. Do you see that faith was believing God, and the thing that helped him believe God, God actually gave him an object lesson. And this is more powerful to him than it would be to us, because we put our lights on, we watch the TV. If you look outside, we've got light pollution because we live in cities. But he was a Bedouin who lived in tents and traveled around the wilderness. And at nighttime, all they saw were the stars everywhere. They were familiar with the stars, with all the different constellations. They could point them all out. If you opened your tent at night and walked out, you were swimming in stars. God made sure that Abraham's imagination was swimming in a sea of stars as a picture, as a visualization, as an image, as a focus of faith, as a daydream of how many descendants he would have. He got it on the inside before he ever got it on the outside. And so, once you're dreaming and you're realizing, whoa, this feels right. This feels like the kind of person I should be. This is what I should do with my life. Then you realize that you're not that kind of person. So, it would be like it would be like me walking into the gym and the world's strongest man is there. And he's like, he's picking up things and throwing them around and catching them and all that kind of stuff. And I go in and I'm like, I'll move this table out the road. <laughs> right? I can't go and lift his weights. Now, if my daydream is to become the world's strongest man, I better start lifting a few pieces of furniture first and then getting some little weights, and then I gradually grow with lots of protein powder and lots of visits to the gym, maybe some anabolic steroids or something, and I finally grow into the person who can bear that much weight. 
Listen, if you're called to something in life, if God has put a dream in your heart, if He's given you gifts and talents and skills, and there's something for you to accomplish, there's a pathway for you to go down in life, don't just jump right into it. You're not strong enough yet to handle it. Maybe strong enough emotionally or intellectually or spiritually or relationally or whatever it may be. You need to grow into the person who lives that kind of life. And so, you need to learn to deploy all the methods of growth that will enable you to do that. For instance, here's an example. Some people are like, I'm doing a job, but I don't really like it. I would really like that job. And so, what they do is, they don't do this job very well, because it's not what they want to do. But the person who's going to grow into the person who does that job isn't the person who doesn't do things well. It's the person who says, this is not my dream job. This is not where I think I'll eventually end up. But this is what I'm doing now, and I will do this with excellence. I will be the best at doing this that I can. I will learn everything about this. You know, when I was a young pastor, I led the youth ministry. They only put me in charge of the youth ministry because I was young not because I was good at it. I led the worship for a while, not because I've got a good singing voice, but because we never had anyone else at the time. Um, and, and I was the assistant pastor, so I just did whatever the pastor. We need somebody to be in charge of small groups. We need someone in charge. Of, I did lots of things that I, weren't, I wasn't good at, but I did them all to the best of my ability, to the best of my potential, and I learned so much doing it that when I actually got into the position that I felt called to, I brought all of this experience and all of this personal growth with me. So, deploy all the methods of growth. What will enable you to grow into the kind of person who lives the dream life that you want? There's a great passage in Proverbs chapter 4, and it says this. It says, my son, if you will take the time to stop and listen to me and embrace what I say. So there's no rush here. It's not like God's got a plan for your life, and if you've not found it by 2 p.m. today, you've missed the boat. That's not what it is. You, you take your time over this, right? Stop, listen to me, embrace what I say, you will live a long and happy life full of understanding in every way. That's a successful life, okay? I have taken you by the hand in wisdom's ways, pointing to you the path of integrity. Pointing to you the path of integrity. Now, you'll find this on YouTube. I can't actually remember what it's called, but I do have a so you might have to watch 100. But I've got a message out there somewhere on YouTube. It was from a few years ago. Some of you remember about integrity. It was all about integrity. And we used big Lego blocks and how the word integrity means to be integrated. Not a block over here and a block over there, but one. When everything is integrated in your life, when your heart, your spirit is alive, when your emotions when your thoughts, when your relationships with others, when the, the things that you do with money, when the, the way you expend your physical energy, when everything in your life is integrated, 
then that is integrity. When it's not, when you're pulled, that's what Jesus called hypocrisy. When you're one way on the outside and another way on the inside, that's not integrity. That's hypocrisy. But integrity is when, like Paul said, all of my energies are brought to focus on this one thing. He says, pointing to you the path of integrity, the path, there is a path that suits you perfectly, that everything in your life is integrated in. When you find that path, your progress will have no limits. Can you shout no limits? God is a God of no limits. And it says, when you come along with me and you will never stumble as you walk along the way. So receive my correction, no matter how hard it is to swallow. Some people love it when a preacher encourages them, but they're not too happy when the preacher corrects them. I bet if we looked at your Bible, if you've got a paper Bible with, and you highlight it with a highlight pen, I bet you that most of the highlights are the, the verses you like, all the promises. But there's a few rebukes in there as well. I bet they're not highlighted as much. And so, he says, take my correction, receive it, no matter how hard it is to swallow, for wisdom will snap you back into place. You might remember when we had the Lego blocks and I had one off, and I said, wisdom is when you realize that you need to be integrated and it snaps you. If there's part of you, if your whole life is going in one direction, but you've got some subconscious unresolved emotional issues from your past, and they're pulling you off course, the wise thing to do is to deal with that, to come before God, to bring your unresolved issues to Him. If you need any more help, a counselor or whatever, get it. But the wise thing to do is fix that so that you are integrated, so you're snapped back into place. Her words, wisdom's words, will be invigorating life to you. Let's read on. Listen carefully, my dear child, to everything I teach you, and pay attention to all I have to say. Fill your thoughts. Listen, you need to fill your mind, your imagination, your visualizing uh, faculty. You need to fill it with the thoughts of God, with the, the thoughts of your new life. They will penetrate deep into your spirit. Then, as you unwrap my words, they will impart true life and radiant health into the very core of your being. So, above all, guard the affections of your heart, for they affect all of your life. The, the Hebrew is really interesting here, and some translations translate it this way. Above all else, guard your heart, for out of, out of it flows the issues of life. All of the issues that you are facing in life are flowing out of your heart, okay? Maybe you're flowing in the wrong direction, and that's why you're crashing into things. And maybe you need to reevaluate and find the flow of life. It says, Pay attention to the welfare of your innermost being, your heart before God. 
your thoughts, your emotions, the things that you call to remembrance. Pay attention to them, to the well-being of your innermost being. For from there flows the wellspring of life. Avoid dishonest speech and pretentious words. And so, we are told here that, um, that God, through wisdom, is saying to us, there is a flow of life, that where life goes well, where things are good, where everything is provided, but you need to make sure that everything of your life, paying a special attention to your inner world, is all flown in the right direction. If you're being pulled in different ways, and don't be pulled by people. So many people will try to pull you in different ways. So many people live their life and make their decisions based on making others happy. Making others happy. But this, I'm talking about taking radical, personal responsibility for your life and partnering with God to make sure that it goes in the right direction. You know, one of my favorite authors from about a hundred or so years ago was a guy with the unfortunate name of Wallace Wattles. And uh, Wallace Wattles was a Christian who, he was actually part of the Methodist church, and he was studying Scripture, and he kept coming across promises in Scripture that he, he realized weren't preached a lot in church, especially in the area of physical healing. He got this revelation that God is a healer, and also in the area of, uh, of not only going to heaven when you die, but your life being blessed and successful while you're down here. And so he began to get excited about these passages of Scripture. But at the time, the Methodist church wasn't that excited, so they, they gave him the, what's known as the left foot of fellowship. You know, the right hand of fellowship is when you welcome someone into the church, and the left foot of fellowship is when you kick them out. So he was kicked out of the church for his extreme views that God actually wants to bless his children and answer their prayers. Very extreme. So, um, so he, just be he began teaching and writing. He's actually most famous for I suppose, a non-Christian book called The Science of Getting Rich. But if you, even if you read his secular book, The Science of Getting Rich, hoping that it's a get-rich-quick scheme, what you find out is he refers to the same stuff as he does in all of his Christian books, that God wants to change you from the inside and, and how you need to discover who you are and set your goals and so on. And here's what he says. This is a quote from him. He says, when you are in doubt, meaning I don't know if I should go this way with my life or that way, there's, there's two options before me. I don't know what to take. When you are in doubt, wait, wait, take your time. Fall back on the contemplation of your vision. Daydream. Daydreaming is good. As long as you're daydreaming about good things. Fall back in the, on the contemplation of your vision, because what does that do? It will increase your faith and purpose. When you see yourself doing the things that you believe you're called and created to do, all of a sudden you become confident, I could do that. That is me. I believe I will do that. And your faith and confidence grow. 
and your purpose. And by all means, in times of doubt and indecision, cultivate gratitude. We heard earlier on about the importance of, of worship and and, and like he makes a big deal in his books about the more you have an attitude of gratitude to God, the closer you feel to Him and the closer you are. The only service that you can render God is to give expression to what He is trying to give to the world through you. Listen, maybe you've got a beautiful singing voice, and God wants the world to hear a beautiful singing voice. God isn't going to come down from heaven and sing himself to the world. He is going to do it through you. Let's say that you have an, an amazing plan and dream and all the skills necessary to go and start a charity that is going to help people that everyone in the world is overlooking right now and help them get on their feet and, and, and find freedom in life. God's not going to come down from it. Why does God allow bad things to happen in the world? Because you're sitting on your lazy ass doing nothing. That's why. He has called you. He has gifted you. He has given you inspiration and dreams. God does things in this world through people. If you want the problems of this world to be fixed, find out what part you're supposed to play and get involved in doing it. So God works through people. The only service you can render to God is to give expression to what He is trying to give to the world through you. The only service you can render God is to make the very most of yourself in order that God may live in you to the utmost of your possibilities. There's so much that God could do through you if you weren't watching Netflix. There is so much if you would grow into that. So, let me just bring this to a close by telling you, this is not just a theory. Like, I've done this for years. I remember once I was in the UK. I lived in the UK. Previous to this, I had pastored a church that grew really, really fast now, it didn't grow really, really, really fast because I knew what I was doing. I mean, the Lord just sent a revival and blessed us, but it grew really, really fast. And then I went to this other area to plant a church, and I kind of expected it would do the same as this, but that, wasn't ha that, that didn't happen because of my skills. And so I was over here wanting this to happen over here, but I had to grow into the person. And here I was pastoring a church, and that church was growth-resistant. I mean, like, I'm not joking. It was growth-resistant. There was something about it that it was determined not to grow. And so were most of the people in the congregation as well. And so I'm like, we need to reach new people. We're in this town there are all these people that don't know Christ. We're keeping the kingdom of God to ourselves. We need to reach new people. I was frustrated about it, but then I began to pray. 
I began to seek God. I began to make a list of all of my strengths and all of my weaknesses and realize what I should be doing and what I shouldn't be doing. I began to discover who I was and how God wanted to work through me in a new way. And then as I did all this, I realized that the I realized that every time God inspired me with an idea, it would take at least 200 people to pull this off. Now, prior, I had been pastoring a church that was much bigger than that, but now I was pastoring a church that was much smaller than that and wouldn't grow. And I realized that some people are gifted at planting churches, but I wasn't one of them. Like, I needed like 40 volunteers to help me or I can't do anything, right? And so I worked that one out. And so what I did was I thought, okay, I'm going to begin to pray and believe. And I used to pray, and while I was praying, I would visualize. I prayed that for a church of 400 people. And uh, then I thought there'll be more than enough volunteers then. And I began to pray, and I began to daydream, and I began to read all this leadership stuff about how do I need to change? How do I need to grow to become this person? And I, I can't explain it to you. I know, I know what happened. I know where it happened, but I can't really explain it. I was driving down this road, and I dropped, I was dropping my son off at a kindergarten, and the road was called River something or other, I don't know, Avenue. I went down to the harbor where we lived in the town of Ayr in Scotland. I'm driving, dropped my kid off, and I'm driving down there, and all of a sudden, a strange feeling came over me. I felt like I was the pastor of 400 people. I just felt like it inside. I got out of the car, and I, I was walking like the pastor of 400 people. They're, they're not worried about the offering, you know. I used to be, but no, no, now I'm, now I'm. And then people would come and talk to me. Hey, pastor, oh, yes, I'm a pastor of 400 people. How can I help you? Oh, something changed inside of me. And then the Lord showed me where that would happen. The frozen north of Canada. <laughs> and when we came here 12 years ago, some of you will remember, there was about 120 people. But within a short time, we got the 200 people. And as soon as that happened, I, I, even with 120, I, I felt like I had 400 people. Just if 280 of them were invisible at the moment. <laughs> that was all. But I felt like, and you know what? See, there's a difference back in Scotland when I felt that way. I had like 70 people at the time. And when you've got 70 people, you tend to preach to them like se there's 70 people there. But all of a sudden, as I changed, I was preaching like there was 400 people there. And you know what? When you change in the inside, you start to change the things you do on the outside. Do you know what I've noticed? People respond to the way you're doing things on the outside. And I'll never forget the day here at Gateway where I was told, we've got, four, we've got 400 people. And then I'll never forget the day where I was told, we've got 600 people. And then during the midst of all the Rona stuff, Darian comes through and says, we've got 1,096 people in the church. And I'm like, what? And that happened when we couldn't even do it. If we will do what we can do, God will do what we can't do.
But if we're all doing the wrong thing, if we're trying to do God's job, then we're not doing our job, and we're not allowing Him to do His job. I want to close with just this verse from Proverbs, and it talks about uh, how we plan our lives out. It says, watch your business interests closely. Watch your business interests closely. Check that Dogecoin every 10 minutes and make sure that it's, it might have gone up a little bit, you know. Watch it closely. It says, know the state of your flocks and your herds. Do you know the state of your flocks and your herds? Do you know the state of your bank accounts and your bills? Do you know where you are in life? Watch those things. It says, then there will be lambs wool enough for clothing and goats milk enough for food for all your household after the hay is harvest and the new crop appears and the mountain grasses are gathered in. Do you think a farmer just wakes up one day and says, what will I do today? I think I'll shear the sheep. Oh no, maybe I'll plant a crop. Do you think he does that? Or do you think he plans it out? Let's look at our last slide here. This is what this is saying. What has God given me? What gifts has God given me? If I'm a farmer, I will think, what is it I want to, I want my children to be clothed in wool. I want the, the crops to grow and be harvested. I want to have all the things that I need. I am dreaming of a better life for my family. Well then, what do I need to do? Well, that means when it's plowing time, I need to plow whether I feel like it or not. When it's sowing time, I need to sow whether I feel like it or not. Otherwise, harvesting time will never happen. My dreams will never be, be fulfilled. What has God given me? What gifts, what talents, what skills, what interests, what desires? Once I know that, what is my dream for the future? And then how do I grow into that kind of person? Come on, I want us to pray. I want to pray for you. I'm going to pray not that, come on, let's stand. I'm going to pray not that God gives you a dream life <laughs> or God provides all your needs, but that God opens our eyes to see the areas that we need to grow as people and then that we will deploy all the methods of growth. So come on, let's close our, close our eyes, just open our hearts to the Lord. Father God, I pray for everybody here, and I pray, Lord God, that the scales will fall from our eyes, the distractions, the things that are blinding us to the path that we should go down, or tempting us to go down a, a wrong path. May all of that fall away. May the clouds part. May your light shine clearly into every area of our lives. I pray, Lord God, you would reveal to us who you've made us to be, what you've called us to do, and how we can get there. And we just pray together, Lord, that you would change our hearts. Let's say together, Father God, you are the potter. I am the clay. Mold me into the person I should be. And use me 
for your glory, for others' blessing, and for my fulfillment. In Jesus' name I pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.